Yes, let me um, let me finish off where. So, so we're going to try and uh, tie uh, tie the end of the series that we've been through the last number of months onto where we are going to be in the in this Advent season in this uh, December series. We're looking at this idea of um, how Jesus moved into the neighborhood. And I cannot get away from the verse. I feel like I've been holding on to this verse for months and months. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so I am sending you. And so we're going to reflect later on about, about uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, where how um, Jesus, how he came, he took on flesh. He became a man and he dwelt among us. And so the idea of moving into the neighborhood is taken from Eugene Peterson's translation, his paraphrase of John chapter 1, verse 14, whenever he says that Jesus, uh, he took on flesh and he moved into the neighborhood. He moved into the neighborhood. And so that, it just feels, it feels like a, it feels like a important word. It feels like an important word for the season, for this Advent season, for this Christmas season. But it actually feels as, as a, as we think about where we are as a church, as we think about our, our heart to uh, continually engage with this community, um, the ideas that God is stirring within us for the, for the hub, um, it feels like it's a really important uh, moment for, for us just where we find ourselves in uh, at this time. Um, language that we have used right from the beginning when it comes to the idea of church and why bother has uh, been reminding ourselves to try to hold it before you every time that I've been up here speaking, the church being the ecclesia, the language that Jesus introduced us to, and, uh, the two times that he used the word church, he used this word ecclesia, which then Paul picks up in his letters. And the idea of this Greek word ecclesia was that it was a called out people, a called out people, that is who each one of us are. We're part of the ecclesia, we're a called out people. that means sent for the welfare of a community. We're a called out people for the welfare of our communities. And that's been really important for us to, to, to hold because, because too often when we think of church, and maybe you don't fall into this category, but too often when we think of church, we think of the building, we think of our programs, we think of the time that we meet, we think of the, the structure, we think of the institution. But it's so much more than that. It's, it's, it runs deeper than that. It's the people. It's the church is the called out people for the welfare of a community. And I love Sunday mornings. You've heard me saying this enough times. To, to, I hope that you believe me how much I value these times together. But truth, truly, if we're to see what the ecclesia was, it was people that were called out for the welfare of a community. This becomes the least important part of the week in many ways. Because it's, it's, in, our, it's in our Monday to Saturday. It's in our living amongst the community. It's living among those divine image bearers that have yet to experience and encounter the mercy and the love and the kindness of Jesus. And, and, and that's what it is to be church. Called out for the welfare of our community. A couple of weeks ago, whenever uh, as I continued, I've continued to reflect on what, what Andrew and Jenna and, and Neville uh, shared with us uh, around, the idea, around the idea of vocation, around how they, how they serve and how they, um, 
represent Jesus in the workplace. I've continued to, con to think about the language that Andrew, that, that Andrew shared, that we would live questionable lives. That's the, that's the call for us as this ecclesia, call out people amongst, living amongst the community, that we would live questionable lives. Lives that would, that would, that would provoke something within people. Living lives in such a way that would provoke questions among those that we encounter with on a daily basis. We continue to ask, what, what kind of life is it that evokes those questions? What kind of life is it that, that causes people to ask questions about the life that we're living? I, uh, Eli was talking to me this week about how he really wanted to watch the new Jumanji movie. And... Uh, and I thought he wanted to watch the 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 one, Jumanji Two: Welcome to the Jungle, I think it is, and uh, it just been it just came out on on Netflix. We'd seen it in the cinema months ago, and so we stuck it on. We started watching it, and then it was then I realised that Eli was thinking of the new one that's just came out in the cinema. And I didn't even realise there was a new Jumanji. Maybe that is revelation for you this morning. Hope you. I hope I will provide more revelation than that. But Jumanji, there's a new Jumanji movie out. Anyway. I put on the, as we do, put it on the Google and typed in Jumanji, new Jumanji movie trailer and, and they put it on with two minutes. And uh, two minutes giving us a glimpse, giving us an insight into uh, this new Jumanji movie and it looked amazing. Like, it's, it's not normally the sort of movie that I like, but it was a sad, maybe it was just like, maybe it was just because I was sitting watching the trailer with Eli and he was getting so excited and it was just rubbing off on me. But the two minutes, that glimpse I had of the Jumanji movie left me wanting more. It left me wanting, like, when are we booking this? When are we going to go and see this? It, 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 it provoked something within me that caused me to want uh, to find out more. And uh, so I just found myself, again, I, uh, not to be, again, as David already said this morning, not to try and like, get a, a spiritual metaphor of absolutely everything, but just as I've been thinking over the last couple of days, I didn't think it in that moment because we put on Jumanji 2, Welcome to the Jungle, and that became my attention for the next two hours. But later on, it's reflected on the, that movie trailer, and I like, watch movie trailers all the time. I know David is absolutely buzzing about Frozen 2. He's seen the trailer for Frozen 2, and he cannot wait to go and see it. Um, so it's not that I'm not used to seeing movie trailers but just as I've been thinking about living questionable lives, about living a life that would provoke something, that would provoke somebody to ask more about what's going on. I thought about the movie trailer, I thought about the two-minute clip, the two-minute glimpse, the two-minute insight we have into, into the rest of this movie. And they presented it in such a way that I wanted, I want to know more, I want to, want to experience this movie now that I've caught a glimpse of it. And actually, this, it was like, in some ways it was, it's maybe a silly analogy, but it actually deeply, deeply provoked me. Because I began to think, what would, if people were to get a glimpse of my life, and this would have become really challenging because I thought about my week, if people were to get a two-minute glimpse of my life, in the last week, would it leave them wanting to know more about the one that I've given my life to? And it might be a silly analogy, but I honestly, like as I reflected on what the 
how what two-minute glimpse, what two-minute window could you give into my life that would leave people wanting to know more about the one that I've said I've given all of my life to, all my affection, all my devotion, poured out on your feet, King Jesus. If people were to get a two-minute glimpse into the highlights of my week, would it leave them wanting to know more? Would it provoke something within them that would want to know where is it that you find joy? Where is it that you find this acceptance? Where is it that you find this approval from outside of anybody else but, but his? Where is it that you find the ability to love sacrificially? Where is it? How is it? I want to know more about that idea. I want to know more about how you can give sacrificially, about how you can serve sacrificially, about how you can lay your life down for the sake of others. Is it reflected on my week? Would there be a two-minute glimpse that would offer people would leave people wanting to know more. Not without being too treat cheesy, but like if you sort of reflect on your week, what would the what would the trailer of your week look like? Would it leave people wanting to know more? And I just be uh, this morning. I I, I want to just take a, a few moments to to talk about our to talk about some habits and some habits that I think as we consider what it is to be the called out people for the welfare of the community. I want to offer a few habits that I think would be really helpful for us. Will be really helpful for us in this Christmas season to live as Jesus did, incarnationally, living among people, taking on flesh and moving into the neighborhood, taking on flesh and dwelling among those that uh, need to experience his joy and his acceptance and his sacrificial love. And if you're only habits this morning, this is where I, I, I want to poke a wee bit. If you're only habits, when it comes to following Jesus or church attendance and going to meetings, maybe your morning devotional, that is not going to connect us with the lost. It's not going to connect us with people who do not know Jesus. It's not going to invoke curiosity about your faith. If your only habits are attending church meetings, or if your only habits are doing your morning, morning devotionals, don't walk away from here this, this morning saying, Neil says the church isn't important and your morning devotions aren't important. It's not what I'm saying. But if your only habits are that, it's not going to, it's not going to uh, connect us with those that most desperately need to know of Jesus, need to experience the kindness of a Savior, the hope of our nation. It's not going to invoke curiosity about our faith. So again, at the risk of maybe going off on a tangent again, some of the stuff, some of the questions that I found myself asking as, I, as I've reflected on what would a two-minute window, what would the trailer of my week look like? I began to ask, like, what is it that I'm dreaming of? If people were to get a glimpse into my week, what, what, what would they see? What is, what is it that I am dreaming for? What is it that I'm dreaming for? What is it that I am imagining? What is it that I'm longing for? What is it that breaks my heart? If you were to get a glimpse into my week, what would you see that breaks my heart, that has so captivated my heart, that it just overflows in my conversation with my family, it overflows in my conversations around the dinner table? Where is it that you're risking? To so call a glimpse of the Jumanji movie, I, I really hope you don't walk away from this morning thinking more about the Jumanji movie and what I'm trying to communicate this morning. 
But as I watch that Jumanji, you're like, like, look at the risks that they're taking. I want to know. I want to know what it is that what it, what what is it that they are taking such a risk for? What is the goal? What is the aim that they're taking such a risk for? If that was to be, if where am I risking? If I think about my week, where is it that I'm taking a risk? There's people already had a glimpse of the risk that I'm taking. What is that pointing to? What is he take? Why is he taking that risk? Why is he taking that risk? What is it that that breaks your heart? And the truth of the matter is, whatever it is that you're dreaming for, whatever it is that you're imagining, wherever it is the risk that you're going to take, whatever it is to pursue the call of God that is on your life, and each one of you has a call of God in your life, every one of you in this room has the call of God on your life bring the kingdom wherever you are. The truth is that it's going to cost something. There is no way of being the ecclesia. There's no way of being the church. There is no way of being, of moving into the neighborhood in the same way that Jesus was sent without it costing something. There is no way of being the ecclesia without sacrifice for the sake of others. No way of being the church without sacrifice for the sake of others. And so, the, so these, are the, these are the habits of missional people that I want to uh, share with you this morning. And these are not my ideas. Uh, these are taken from, from, a, from a really good thinker, really good author, really good missiologist called Michael Frost. And uh, he uses the acronym, and some of you have heard this before. Uh, if you've heard it before, it'll do no harm for you to hear it again. About the fifth or sixth time I've heard it, and I still need to hear it. And, uh, and so we're, we're going to use the acronym BELLS, B-E-L-L-S. And, uh, and these are the habits of missional people that I'm encouraging you with as we continue to consider what it is to be the church. And we, we take on this, this new idea throughout December of moving into the neighborhood. I think these are the, these are the habits of missional people that would be really helpful for you. The idea of being missional, I love how Michael Frost uh, uh, presents the idea of being missional. To be missional is to alert people to the rule and the reign of God. And so that leaves it quite, it leaves it quite broad, doesn't it? It leaves it quite open. But whatever it is that you're doing, whatever it is that you're alerting people to the rule and the reign of God, that is, that is being missional. So the first, this is the B, let me go through these really quickly. Um, bless. Bless. The habits of missional people are to bless. And so there's, there's various ways that you can do that. Really simple ways uh, for me is to try and uh, to fill people with encouragement. Yeah, there's others in this room that have the gift of encouragement more than I do. It's, it's, it's something I have to be more conscious of. It probably doesn't flow as naturally from me as it does for other people. But whenever I consider what it is to be missional, um, the idea of blessing people is to fill them with encouragement. And so whether it's the, it's the girl at the, who is serving you your food, or whether it's the lady at the till uh, who is you're paying for your fuel, uh, getting your hair done, getting your nails done, Neville, whatever it is, uh, like bless, fill people with encouragement, offer words of affirmation. Like I, I, like I for some reason, like I find that, I can find that really challenging. Even within, sometimes even within, like in marriage, and even with those closest to you, there's almost that, like there's almost an assumption people know how I feel about them. 
there's an assumption the people that I that I engage with and the that I'm engaging with in the community at the school gates, they know that I like them, they know that I'm friends with them. And so for some reason, the, the words of affirmation thing, I'd have to be really conscious again of like offering words of affirmation. So when I think of blessing people, being missional, it's, it can be as simple as filling people with encouragement, as simple as offering words of affirmation. Words of affirmation like has the power to do something that like, convert, like a long conversation will never get you there. But you open it up with, a, with, an, with encouragement, with words of affirmation. It softens, it opens the conversation. Acts of kindness are gifts. And so, and so I'm sure there's, others, there's other ideas in the room that you could come with, but let, to bless people. You want to create a habit. You want it to be a habit. The habits of missional people are to bless, to fill those with encouragement through words of affirmation, through acts of kindness, or through gifts. Um. Again, like really simply, like I um, feel really, like the last two or three years I felt really old. I don't remember in my first 30 years of life ever being to my GP. Like I can't think of any time. Feels like, feels like I got the flu about two or three years ago and I'm walking in embarrassed almost to the GPs like every three or four months the last week. Well, anyway, flip me, what a pity party. Let, come enjoy, who wants to join my pity party here? Um, but, but there was a moment, uh, there was a moment, of, like a few months back, when I was sitting, uh, when I, before I was going to see, um, before I was going to see the doctor, I made an appointment. I just found myself like something that I, that I again, I don't don't do it enough, often enough. It just hasn't become my habit. But thankfully, there was a moment where I felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit that just was like, what about, you, what about praying about this moment? Like you can go in and and you've got ten minutes, you've got ten minutes, and you can go in and. Like, let him diagnose you, let him give you whatever he needs to give you and, and move on. Or is this a moment? Is this a moment to develop a habit? To make this just the norm? Holy Spirit, what is it that you maybe want to say to the doctor this morning? And I really did feel like the Holy Spirit dropped a, a, a book title in my heart. And, uh, and so really quickly, I went and got him a book. And um, eventually, um, uh, eventually I, gave him, I, I gave him this book and... Uh, and while I was giving him the book, I was giving him a gift. But I was, he's not a follower of Jesus. And whenever I was giving him the book, I was, um, I was hoping it was an act of kindness. And as I presented to it, I did it with words of affirmation, the reason why I felt like I wanted to give him this book. Like really simple. And, and the, reason why I can, the reason why it's so easy for me to go to give you an example is because it happened so little. <laughs> but I, I love it just to become a habit of my life. I love it to just become such a norm that anytime you're stepping into an environment, it just becomes the norm to offer words of affirmation, to, 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 to be really, really kind. And if possible, if you feel like you want to push a bit further, you would give a gift. Eight. Eight. Bless is the first one. Eight is the second one. Luke chapter 19 has been, uh, has been the thought going through my mind over the last few days when it comes to the idea of eating. So I think what Jesus did with Zacchaeus was so powerful. Whenever Zacchaeus was up, in the, was up in the tree, and Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down. We're going to have a, we're, we are going to eat together. We're going to sit around the table. And so Zacchaeus was not well thought of. He was not a liked man. At that moment, I don't think he was much, I think he was more nosy than he was actually wanting to encounter Jesus. But I love what Jesus did. I love that around the table, Jesus, Jesus had, um, Jesus, there was conversion. There was ultimately Zacchaeus was converted. He began to follow Jesus, but conversion flowed 
from communion. Repentance. Repentance came from relationship, not the other way around. And sometimes we get it the other way around. We wait for the conversion before there's the communion. We wait for the repentance before we enter into the relationship. But there's something beautiful that can happen around the dinner table. And as I've already said many times, the Gospel of Luke presents that to us in a way more clearly than, than any of the others. Jesus was either at the table, going to the table, or coming from a table. Something about eating with those that didn't have the best reputation, that Jesus ended up carrying the reputation, but he, was, he was thought it was worth he thought it was worth the risk. Watchman Nee said that Jesus moved among the people as their friend before he became their savior. A friend shared that with me this week, and I just found it so powerful. Watchman Nee, it was, it said, moved among the people. Jesus moved among the people as their friend before he became their savior. Isn't that powerful? This is what Michael Frost said. Sharing meals together in a regular basis uh, is one of the most sacred practices we can engage in as believers. Some people are saying amen to that. Uh, sacred practices we can engage in as believers. Missional hospitality is a tremendous opportunity to extend the kingdom of God. We can literally eat our way into the kingdom of God. If every Christian household regularly invited a stranger or a poor person into their home for a meal once a week, we would literally change the world by eating. Come on. Inviting a home, inviting if every Christian household regularly invited a stranger or someone in need into their home for a meal once a week, we would literally change the world by eating. Again, Watchman Nee said, the first condition of salvation is not knowledge, but meeting Christ. The first L is listen. And again, I think this is re really important. It's actually one of the reasons why I would love it that, uh, as I've already said, I've already mentioned our, the WhatsApp group, and every morning this week there's different con contributors that are uh, amongst the, the church family this morning that are going to offer a uh, reflection, a thought, a prayer um, each morning over this season. And we'd love to present that in the mornings uh, just for that moment that you can, you can get into this habit of listening. It's a really important habit to bless, it's a really important habit to eat, and a really important habit to listen. And that there would be designated time, and just for five or six minutes in the morning, that you'd have this designated time just to listen. Designated time to eliminate distractions. And the, and the goal is, almost wanted to, like I wasn't doing that just for the sake of it this morning, to present some sort of model, but actually to use what we did this morning, just for a moment, just to let God in. Just to begin to listen, to let him in, and to follow his promptings. And I really want to, I really want to do that. I feel like, so much of the church, what we've done for, for too long has been, God, this is what we're going to try. This is what we're going to do. And now that we've decided to do it, would you come and bless it? I love that the Father is already at work. I love that, we, that there's not as much striving as we think that we have to do to begin to see him move in our community because he's already at work. Like if you believe what Jesus said in John 4, you've got to believe that he, Father is always at work. And so, for, so the idea of listening becomes really important in those moments because, uh, because we are wanting to hear from him. We are wanting to let him in and follow his promptings rather than us like beating our pan in, rather than us like 
coming up with ideas after ideas, like going after the struggle of trying all of these different things. But what about if we just stopped? What about we just eliminated distraction, let God in, created this designated time and follow his promptings? See, Advent, the season of Advent is this expectation, is this waiting. It's this waiting for him to come. And but, but what's really important, and I think what, what I want to reflect on over the next couple of mornings in our devotionals will be that waiting is it's active waiting, it's not a passive waiting. So the idea of listening, it's not it's not passive. The idea of waiting is is really active. Active listening. Letting God in, following his promptings. The next thing is to learn. The next L to learn. This would be a season. I think I've seen a few people sharing it on uh, on different social media outlets that there's 24 chapters in the book of or in the book of Luke. Sorry, 24 chapters in the book of Luke, and over this Advent season, these next 24 days from today, that you would take Luke chapter one, you'd read the whole 24 chapters, uh, one chapter a day, and that is a really it's a really good habit. But as you're doing that, you, like have a have a like have a posture of learning. Like, what is it that you can learn about Jesus? Rather than just reading the story over, as I do that all the time, you can read the story over just for the sake of doing a devotional, or you can read it again. Jesus, like, reveal something to me here. Let me see something about your character and about your nature that I've maybe missed, that I've maybe never never caught before. Get into that posture of learning. Study the Gospels. Read about Jesus. Read about Jesus. Like learn something about Jesus. For me, it's like I that second L is is really easy for me. Sometimes it can be too easy because I love to read and, and the idea of learning something new about Jesus, learning something new about the culture and the context that he was in is really helpful for me. And I'm not putting that on you, but if you, but the idea of learning about Jesus maybe means like going to another source, going to another trusted author another trusted resource to find something more, to learn more about Jesus, to help study the Gospels and what Jesus is doing a bit more. B-E-L-L, S is sent. It's my encouragement to you is to create this habit. And I know journaling is not for everybody, but I would, for those that it is, that you do not mind writing, that you would begin to journal or that you would begin to think back. If you're not going to journal, at least in those moments of, of, of designated time, that you would think back to how to where, to when you have alerted people, where you have alerted people to the rule and the reign of God. What, what, has, what has this idea of being sent, what has that meant in my life? How has, that, how has that been reflected? How have I alerted others to the rule and the reign of God? Remember, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The idea of Proverbs chapter 11, verse 10 has been uh, it's been something that we've talked about in a wee bit in our midweeks. I have people probably sick hearing me talk about Proverbs 11, verse 10, just people that are closest to me. But Proverbs chapter 11, verse 10 has been, whenever the, whenever the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. And so I, whenever I begin to dream, when I begin to imagine uh, what it would be like to create a habit of alerting others as a sent one to the rule and the reign of God, what would a rejoicing city look like? What would a rejoicing city look like? And to, so, the, so the idea of righteousness, the, 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 the word, the Hebrew word was sadikim for the righteous. And the sadikim are those that will disadvantage themselves for the sake of the community. And so when people like that, when they begin to lay their, lay their lives down, 
the city begins to rejoice. When those of us, when the ecclesia, when the called out people of God disadvantage ourselves for the sake of the community, lay our lives down for the welfare of others, the city rejoices. And I begin to ask us, those that are sent to those that will, where are those areas that we alert people to the rule and the reign of God? And I think it's in, it's in things like reconciliation. I think that is what a rejoicing city looks like. Re- people being reconciled to another from, a, like from across religious divide, political divide, whatever divide, that there would be reconciliation. A rejoicing city will look like a reconciliation. We've been entrusted with that. As sent ones, we've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. I think it also would look like justice. Like, as I was looking through Twitter the other day, I seen that uh, this year, the the Trussell Trust, those that, the the people that are responsible for the food bank, they've said that they've given away more, more food this year than they have any other time. And there's, and there's people come on, and this is not a criticism, but people that come on and rejoice and celebrate food banks giving more away, that people have donated more and all of that. But I think it's absolutely horrendous. Like it's absolutely horrendous that in the course of the last 12 months in Northern Ireland that more people are needing access to food banks. Like something's wrong. If something's wrong if, there's that, if that doesn't, if that doesn't be the thing, if that, something in that doesn't catch our hearts or break our hearts, we'll become far too passive. We become so disconnected from the call of God in our lives of something about that reality that more and more people in our nation and in our communities are needing food banks. And I'm just longing for, for, for people of justice. And as, again, as I listen to Jenna and Andrew and Neville, I, I hear that in them. I hear that they're wanting to be ones that will defend and uphold the dignity of others. They're wanting to be ones that are in, in their workplaces for the well-being of everyone. We had the privilege of listening to the assistant chief constable yesterday. And I loved hearing this story of a man who's following Jesus. And he is, he is all about justice. He's all about uh, creating environments that are for the well-being of everyone holding and defending the dignity of everyone. That's on us all. And, and so I think a rejoicing city looks like, looks like a place of reconciliation, a place of justice. And I read, read from C.S. Lewis today, I think something around beauty. So I think it's something that connects us around, around beauty that we sometimes don't consider. And so maybe there's somebody that, that you're connected with that, that loves to hike, that loves to walk, and I think there's some, what C.S. Lewis, this is what C.S. Lewis said. I fancy the beauties of nature are a secret that God has shared with us alone. That may be one of the reasons why we were made. And in those moments, to be able to, to, be able to go and to reflect on the, on the beauty and the wonder with those, I think there's something about that that allows us to alert others to the rule and the reign of God. Something around reconciliation, justice, and beauty. I, like, I'd, love to, like, I'd love you to consider that. I'd love you to consider that around your, around your dinner table. Maybe you're putting your tree up today. As you're putting your tree up today, begin to ask those questions. What does a rejoicing city look like? Maybe for you, it's, it's, you want to go more than just reconciliation and justice. Maybe there's other things that you would begin to, begin to write, begin to dream, begin to think about your own communities, begin to think about Rich Hill. What would a rejoicing city look like? Habits of missional people. I think whenever we begin to, 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 uh, to pursue and to live out these habits of missional people, 
Uh, that is whenever we're living incarnationally. And that's what this Advent, uh, that's what this Advent season, I think, for me is about. It's about waiting ex- expectantly for his coming. As we've already said, it's about waiting for his coming in, in terms of uh, his birth. That's what we're acknowledging. He came, he took on flesh, and he dwelt among us. Became like us in order that he would identify with us. He's not one that's unable to sympathize with our weakness and our struggles but he took on flesh and dwelt among us so that he would be able to identify and be able to share in our humanity. He shared in our humanity so that we would be able to share in his divinity. We're, we're waiting for his coming into our daily lives and then we're, we're waiting for that, like the longing that he's coming, the joy that he's coming back again. As I consider the pattern of the Old Testament, I've thought a wee bit about this this week. The, the pattern of the Old Testament was that like, I've, there's very few characters that you'll find that didn't walk away. Adam and Eve walked away. Moses, he, he, he was caught, he was found out that he'd murdered someone and he fled into the wilderness. David messed up. Turned away and, and what, I've, what I've loved is I've, is I've went and, and looked at what God's done in his mercy in his mercy, even in the Old Testament, believe it or not, even in his mercy and his grace and his kindness, he came looking. He came looking. Even those that, even people that had turned their back and walked away from God, God comes to find them every time. He came into the garden. Adam and Eve, where are you? Went after Moses in the wilderness and encountered him in the burning bush. Went after David in spite of his sin, in spite of all that he'd done wrong. He went after him. But the pattern continued. This, just this pattern continued to, to go on and on throughout the Old Testament. The people would walk away from him. Yet God in his mercy and his kindness would keep, <laughs> he would keep coming back. He would keep making a way to find them. And eventually, eventually because he loves us that much, because he is, loves humanity, because he loves humanity, God became human to come and to find and heal, to find and heal humanity. Loved us that much that, that this, this pattern that had, that had continued eventually because of his love for us, because of his love for all of humanity, he became one of us. He became human in order that he would find and heal humanity. So the man came to, to seek and to save the lost. He took on flesh. He moved into the neighborhood. He moved into the neighborhood as the Father sent him, Jesus said, so I am sending you. Go into the neighborhood. Even those that have turned their back, even those that have walked away, like go after them. Continue to pursue them with kindness and with compassion. Continue to to, to dwell among them, even though they will reject you, continue to move in. Continue to sympathize with their weakness. Continue to identify with them. See, this is what Paul said in Romans 8, verse 3. He not only identified with our uh, human nature, but he also, he also, the totality of our human condition. This is what, the, the, again, the message version says. Romans 8, verse 3. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition. He entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. That's what 
That's what we're looking at over these few weeks. He personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Wednesday night, Thursday night, sorry, on Thursday night whenever we were uh, worshipping in the, in the hub, I really felt, uh, it was almost like a mild rebuke. I almost felt like I wanted to say this morning, I, I, I want to apologize. I want to apologize if I've set the bar too low. And I, and I want to apologize if I have made surrender an option. Then we were sometimes in my in my in my longing to to please people like that's who I am my default to please people as much as I possibly can and sometimes in order to please people you'll you'll set the bar really low in order to please people you'll make surrender and sacrifice and lay your time treasure and talent down you'll make that sound optional. And if I've done that in any way this morning, I genuinely want to apologize. Because, because Jesus, what he says is so much more important. His voice is so much more important. And he says to take up your cross just to keep laying your life down daily. It's every day. Every day laying down your life, taking up your cross and following him. It's a really high bar. It's a really high bar and, and, and surrender is not an option. And you, like honestly, you can decide to, to, to not be the, to not to pursue the welfare of this community. You can you can opt out, like you don't have to, but like, but that's on, that has to be on you. Like, forgive me if I've made surrender an option. It can't be if you're the church, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Father, in the same way that He sent Jesus, He has sent you. And His call on you was the same call that was on Jesus that you would take up your cross daily and follow him, lay down your life, put yourself at a disadvantage for the sake of others. And again, if I just reflect for a moment in closing, on Thursday night, David reminded us of Hebrews chapter 11, how these, these guys in this, what is known as the hall of faith, these all these Old Testament characters that were all, all living in the time before Jesus had came, before Jesus had came and dwelt among us, that had that had that had came to rescue, came to seek and to save those of us that were far from him, to came to heal and restore humanity. In his death, in his life, his death and his resurrection. But these guys still saw enough that they were willing to lay it all down. They were they were still willing to reorientate their lives around around this God. They still give everything for the mission of God. We are these privileged people and I get to live on the other side, living in AD, living in this moment where Jesus has come, he's taken on flesh, he's moved into the neighborhood, he's lived the perfect life, died, died for us, gave himself for us, resurrected, defeated the grave, victorious, We have the privilege of living on the other side of that. 
And I'm so, I'm so challenged by these, by these guys because Hebrews 12 says that therefore we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And I think it's, I think it's those. Like I think they're just longing to get up. Like they give themselves up because they saw a glimpse of something. They saw something from a distance. Maybe it was the short movie trailer to see what was coming. What was coming? Maybe they caught the trailer, the glimpse of it, and they were willing to reorientate their lives so that they could, they could be a part of it in some way. They were able to lay everything down, sacrifice everything, give up their very lives, we're told. They were martyred, they were put to death, they were slaughtered. But they found what was ahead. They found what they caught a glimpse of worth it to pursue the mission of God. We live on the other side of the cross. We live post-incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection. And so the Hebrews 12, I think, becomes really important for us. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And I think that's what we've, again, what we've tried to do this morning in our time of prayer. Look up. Look in. Begin to look in. What, you, what the Holy Spirit reveals to you, that you would hold it before him and say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Whatever it is that's distracting me, whatever it is that's preventing me from laying my, my life down, whatever it is that's causing me to go after comfort and ease, I'm holding that before you and say, come Lord Jesus and ignite that passion, ignite that fire that David talked about this morning. That we would get rid of everything that so easily distracts. Because continue to look in. Get rid of everything that so easily distracts. And then you begin to look around. But begin to look around those that we're doing this with. Get people to help you out in this. Get people to help you lay down every distraction, eliminate every distraction. Get rid of every mindset, every, every, every area that is holding you back, that baggage that you've carried for too long. Lay it all down. Get rid of everything that so easily entangles. Fix your eyes on Jesus and endure. Endure. Jesus was able to endure because of the joy that was set before him. He endured the sacrifice. He endured disadvantaging himself for the sake of others because he was able to catch a glimpse. He was able to see the joy that was set before him. And I would love something to happen as we begin to look out. As we begin to look out on those that are far from him, as we begin to look out as those, those, on those that we've held before him this morning, those that are sick, those that are bereaved, those that have got themselves in a cycle of addiction or depression, that we, as we hold them out before them, we begin to see them differently. That we begin to, be, to endure to endure the scorn, to endure the loss of reputation, to endure whatever it is, whatever it is that's going to come with sacrifice, whatever it is that's going to come with laying our lives down because we see people differently. There are the joy because the joy is people. It's always been people. It's, been a tr- it's, it's, the, it's his treasure. It's his joy. It's always been people. And so for the joy that was set before him, he endured the sacrifice. And again, I want to say to you for the, the same way the Father has sent the same way that the Father sent Jesus, he sent, Jesus is now sending us. Like, live this way. Fix your eyes on me. Eliminate distraction. And endure because of joy. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. And so this Advent, in this Advent season of waiting upon the Lord, in this Advent season of living incarnationally, of moving into the neighborhood, I'm... I'm offering you this Bell's model. I think it could be really helpful for some of us. And David's going to come now. I'm going to sing this um, last song. And again, it was Thursday night. Thursday night, as, we, as, as, the, as Anthony and uh, Paul led us in this song, everyone needs compassion. Everyone needs the kindness. Everyone needs compassion and everyone needs kindness. And the second verse that the guys are going to lead us in, will take me as you find me. All my fears and failures fill my life again. 
He goes on as if I give my life to follow everything that I believe in. Now I surrender. Now I surrender. And honestly, I said to David, I'm not going to make him do it because uh, he can be a good cop and I'd be bad cop for a moment. Honestly, please don't sing it. Please don't sing it if like you're not, because like Jesus is, he is seeking, he's searching. He's looking for hearts and minds that are set on him. And that's really a big words. Like that is a huge song to sing. And, but I want to set the bar high. I want to set the bar a wee bit higher. I want to say that surrender is not an option. So Jesus, take me as you find me. I give my life to follow. Now I surrender. It was on to say, shine your light. Shine your light and let the whole world see. And as I've thought about this, I don't want to be self-deprecating just for the sake of it, but as I thought about the glimpse that my neighbors have had into my life. Shine your light and let the whole world see. And I think of what, the, what light has been, has been emanating from my household. And too often I think this week has been the glare. The only light that has emanated that my neighbors have seen is the glare of my TV. That's why I'm saying, oh, Jesus, please shine your light and let the whole world see that you're worth giving up everything for. You're worth laying down everything for the sake of your kingdom come and your will being done right across the earth in the same way that it is in heaven.